So we don't have to type run at server anymore. Uh, no, you don't. Actually, you will never type run at server again. Welcome to Pixelate Radio. On the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel, the number eight, ed.com. Now, here's your host, Craig Shoemaker. Hey there, and welcome back to Pixelate. It's a good time to be an ASP.NET developer because the innovations just seem to be coming and coming. Today, Scott Hunter, head of all things data in ASP.NET, joins us from the floor of PDC to discuss ASP.NET 4.0, Visual Studio 2010, and what to expect in the near future from dynamic data. For show notes, please go to getpixelated.com slash shows slash ASP.NET dash 4 dash preview. You know, they say with Microsoft products, like around the third release, version three is when everything begins to fall into place and it's really a product that is, is coming to its own. Well, with ASP.NET, we had version one, 1.1, and then 2.0, and a lot of innovation on 2.0. But then we had .NET 3.5 come out and it did have some updates that affected ASP.NET, but it wasn't something to where we had a full-fledged revamp of ASP.NET. Now we're staring at ASP.NET 4 in the face and yet, when you look at the feature set of four, you might think, well, where is everything there? We've got the client ID support, we've got granular view state and some other things. But that's because the team has been relentlessly releasing things out of band. We've got MVC, we've got uh, dynamic data, and those are two of just the big name types of things that we have available now. So to tie it all together, we sat down with Scott Hunter, where he's going to give us an overview of everything that's involved with the upcoming release of ASP.NET 4.0, and also tell you about some of the updates that there are to Visual Studio 2010 that will help make your life a whole lot easier. So let's pick up with Scott, where he was telling us about how PDC had been treating him. Uh, show's been great. I mean, we had a uh, ASP.NET 4.0 ro- uh, roadmap session uh, on Monday, right around uh, 1:45, and uh, we overfilled the room. So we had we had like uh, 1,200 plus people for that that show uh, that talk, and then we followed it up with Phil Hack doing a talk on MVC, which filled the room as well. So it uh, was a great way to start the day with two great talks, and then uh, uh, the Visual Studio team had a talk right after that, and and showed some neat stuff that uh, I think is underappreciated. Basically, they showed uh, um, some snippets that they're going to add to the HTML editor, which means, you know, right now when you're in the HTML editor and you start typing in um, ASP colon text box, uh, as soon as you get far enough into that, it, it just automatically fills the entire text box in and moves the cursor to where you would you would actually type the value for the text box. Kind of like an autocomplete yeah. uh, snippet, and it, and it was really cool. And then they actually had the ability to go take a, they showed an example where they put a required field validator underneath that. And they just t- they type ASP colon required field, and it filled the whole thing in, automatically hooked up to the text box, oh, wow. and then stuck the cursor on the error message. Nice. Uh, I was blown away. I, it was something I wasn't expecting to see. I, I sat in the room after the after Phil's MVC talk and, and watched this and was like, wow. That the, is the, amazing. The Web Tools team has got some awesome stuff coming. So we don't have to type run at server anymore. Uh, no, you don't. Actually, you will never type run at server again. As soon as you start typing the ASP colon and, and do whatever, boom, run at server is put in, and... Uh, they're going to ship a whole pile of these things, you know, in the in Visual Studio 2010 snippets. Doesn't sound like very sexy, but when people see this, it's going to blow them away. They actually had a sample where uh, Jeff King, uh, the PM on one of this, wrote a site without the snippets, and after one minute, he was only about half done. Then he turned the snippet support on and wrote the same thing. He has a timer running at, at the same time, and he finished in 30 seconds. 
<laughs> so the one he couldn't finish uh, by hand in uh, a minute, he finished in 30, in 30 seconds with the snippet stuff turned on. So that's, that's going to be something people are going to die for when they see it. Well, it's really cool to see the, the attention being paid to the user experience of people just in the code window. You know, even what we saw in the, the uh, keynote today with, where Scott had the, the comments that he was able to style with the WPF control. And it's, it seems like an area that people hadn't been spending much time thinking about. Now it's getting attention. It's nice yeah, to see. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, it, you're, you're right. I mean, it's as much as people use design view just to start the page off, at some point you probably are going to be back in the actual HTML view, and we really haven't given that the justice it, it's due over the last couple of years. And so uh, the, the new support is going to be awesome. That's it's great. Now, do you know, are you able to go in and edit those templates that... Uh, yeah, it's just in? like, you know, snippets, I guess, already exist in Visual Studio today. Um, oh, they, so they really are just snippets that they it, put in? Okay. It's just snippets, but they put them in um, for, you know, ASP. So the first time there's a whole pile of ASP ones. I think there's more to it than just, I, I, I don't want to say it's just they just put snippets in because when you see it, um, they had some other things where they could like, um, let's say you had a panel on the page or, or a table. If you triple click the table, the entire table selects and you press delete and the whole table goes away. <laughs> or let's say you have a, a, a block on the page and you want to wrap it in something. You triple click it and then start typing your new block and it automatically wraps the new block around oh, very cool. the existing block. That's um, awesome. So these, these you know, are all small editor changes that when you see them will blow you away. So I, I can't wait to see what our customers think when they see this stuff. ASP.NET has seen a lot of innovation in the last year or so. We've had uh, what's been happening with uh, MVC as well as Dynamic Data and the, what's recently come out with uh, Ajax. But with the release that's coming as .NET 4, what are we going to be seeing for ASP.NET specifically? Uh, we have basically three pillars of enhancements we're working on. Basically, we have web form enhancements to, to the core web forms, which is what we've been shipping for the last you know eight years or so. Uh, we have Ajax and we have uh, MVC and dynamic data. So that's probably the four uh, pillars of, of work we're doing on. You know, all those other pillars we've actually been releasing as out-of-bound releases the last couple of years, but un unfortunately the, the web form stuff is tied to system.web, which IIS loads, uh. <laughs> which means it's not very easy for us to ship a, a version of that that you can uh, swap out. Right. Um, hopefully in the future we'll find some way to, to make it where we can actually do out-of-band uh, versions of that DLL or assembly or, or move the stuff out of them or something just so you know we can show or preview some of the web form enhancements we're working on because right now that's the area that we can't show any previews on and we have some some really cool stuff I think uh, the number one thing that uh, probably two things that I think developers are going to really love is if you used ASP the last um, couple years uh, you know you build this page and you run it and you go look at the source code and you're like why is uh, my control name CTL 002 under this CTL 001 it's it, these ugly mangled names that you don't understand and and you know the underlying reason there is um, we want to make sure that you don't have any name conflicts in the page because you can't have any two elements on the page with the same name so ASP.NET under the covers is trying to automatically do this for you but the problem is it typically generates stuff that you don't want right and and so one of the coolest enhancements we're working on for 4.0 is going to be um, giving the users or developers control of the client ID again. Okay. So you'll actually be able to specify the ID on the control, and that, that ID will actually stick on the page. So if you have a grid, though, where maybe you need the iNaming container type of functionality, can you just turn that on for specific containers? You'll be able to turn it on and off for specific containers, and in the case of a grid, you'll actually be able to specify the key that you want used on the front of it. So instead of having it us full, fall back to the old mode, you might just want to say, I want to have row uh, replacement 
And, right, okay. and, and the replacement is the primary key. So if you went and viewed the source code, you'd see you know, row one, row two, row three, row four, row five. Right, so if we have a grid inside of a user control inside of a master page, we'll, we'll never see that whole hierarchy again. Exactly, okay. you can control the whole hierarchy and um, even in the repeated data controls, you'll be able to at least specify the prefix and give us what replacement tag you want to use for the uniqueness. Well, on behalf of the community, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it doesn't end there. I think another one that we're going to do that's really cool is, uh, you know, one of the common complaints about ASP.NET as well is, is view state. And I like to tell people, view state in itself is not a bad thing. I mean, you've got to have state somewhere. Right. And if you want to persist state in, in the web, you know, you can either do it in session, which can time out, not, not good, um, or you can do it in uh, the actual page itself. And so, you know, the negative is, um, we have way too much of it turned on by default. And part of that is due to the way that view state works is um, your parent has to have it turned on for it to be used in a child. Okay. So for example, you know, it has to be turned on the, in, the, in the full form and then it has to be, you know, turned on in the master page and then it right. has to be turned on and, and next thing you know, uh, the way it works today is you basically go through your page and turn it off in all the places you don't want it on. Right. Um, and how about if we had a model where you just turned it on in the places you wanted it on. Okay. And that's where we're heading in, in 4.0 is uh, we're going to have some switch. I'm not sure exactly you know, what, what it's going to look like in the APIs yet, but you'll be able to turn the mode backwards. And now it's like you can t it's, we're calling it granular view state, which means you can turn it on inside of any container, even if that container has it turned off. Okay. So the example would be turn it off for the page and then turn it on for the two controls on the page that need it. Okay. And is the off state the default for the page? Uh, that's up in the air. Okay. I would like to make it the the, the the default, and maybe because maybe it, maybe it will be if you build a 4.0 application, okay. it's off by default. Okay. Yeah. While obviously, if you're doing multi-targeting and doing a 3.5, a 2.0 app, you're going to get the uh, original behavior. Now, one of the other new controls that you have is dynamic image. Yeah, dynamic image is something that uh, we actually tried to put in the framework back in 2005, and um, it fell out because it was tied to this uh, cache provider that uh, never made it into the product. And when that, <laughs> when that fell out, uh, the, the image support fell out as well. Um, we actually have a preview of the dynamic image stuff up on uh, CodePlex today. So all of our new bits are up on www.codeplex.com slash ASP.NET. Um, if you click web forms, it'll take you to the uh, image stuff. Um, basically, this is basically rich image support uh, for ASP.NET. So you'll have, a for the web form user, you'll have a, a control you can drop on the page that'll render the image. Um, it'll have a little Chrome next to it. If you click the Chrome, it automatically creates a image handler, you know, an ASHX um, that has a base class that does all the common I image things. You know, how do you scale images? How do you convert byte arrays to images? How do you convert from images back to byte arrays? So um, it's not some magic thing. It's basically just uh, some helper code, basically a helper handler class that does a lot of the, the heavy lifting for you. Um, and it will support things like caching as well. Okay, and and the caching is is that turned on, or is that something you need to go and configure? In in the in the uh, the version on CodePlex, the cache is turned on, and the caching is actually kind of fixed to the. Uh, it has its own cache in it, because ASP.NET does not have a pluggable cache system yet. So our hope is uh, one of the core improvements to ASP.NET that uh, Stefan from our team is working on is. Uh, having a provider model for the caching system. So bring in like Velocity. You can bring Velocity in and just replace the whole thing. So if you're in a web farm, you, know, you plug Velocity to it and your images are stored in a, you know, a server farm. Right, okay. So that's something that we have out in, uh, in uh, CodePlex. Um, you can try it today and it, it works great today. So. Okay, so you can feed it a URL or a byte array and then you can give it uh, 
could you use it? Will it scale the image data for you? Yes, it will scale the image. So it has a collection of what we call transforms. Okay. Uh, examples of transforms, and some of these are in the samples we have up there, are obviously scaling an image. That's the most common, making a thumbnail. Um, but how about adding a watermark? Let's say you want to take your family photos and put them on the web, but you want to put copyright um, correction maker family. on them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's <laughs> You don't want to have right. them just going out to everybody, so right. uh, or somebody stealing the images and having them on their website. So, okay. uh, we have a sample of that up there. So, so that brings us to the next big chunk that uh, I've I've been particularly excited about working with lately, and that is dynamic data. And uh, we've recently published some some futures. Can you tell us about what's available now? Yeah, we just uh, at the start of PDC, we had a, the whole ASP.NET team replaced all of our our, our Codeplex site with brand new releases. So we have a brand new release of Ajax. Uh, we have a brand new release of dynamic data and the MVC beta was was put up just about two weeks before this. So we've got a, a whole new slew of bits. The uh, dynamic data stuff, we have both MVC and we have web forms. Um, before I drill into dynamic data though, I'd like to talk about some of the enhancements that we're working on and just data in general outside of dynamic data. Uh, as we started working on this new release, we started asking ourselves what are common problems that developers have? And here's the scenario that I'm, I'm going to throw out there. You've got a, a data-driven page, you're showing some data, and you want to put a search box up in the upper right of the, the page where you can type some text in and when you press search it goes and actually searches three or four columns in your data. That is very difficult to do today. I mean using our data source controls what you're going to do is you're going to you're going to hand generate where clauses um, based on that. Uh, very complicated. So we have a, a new concept that we're calling a query block and what a query block is is basically a declarative link syntax. Um, we're not trying to be a full declarative link system. We're just, we're just going to put some common uses in, into this. And one of those is a uh, contains uh, operation. So I might want to do a, a, a search operation on text. And so obviously the modes would be starts with, ends with, or contains. Okay. And all you do is you put this query block in your, uh, your data source. You're going to say, here's the columns I want it to work on. And you're going to give it the uh, uh, control. Uh, to get the value from the search on. Okay. And you press go, and it'll do. It'll just basically take the iQueryable coming back off of the link data source or the entity framework data source, and automatically add a new where to them um, that does all the searching. And of course, the neat thing about link is because it's deferred query. Um, even though the data source has already given us this iQueryable, if we go add stuff to it, that'll get pushed all the way down to the SQL server. So it'll actually impact the actual SQL on the server. So you're not doing a server side look. Uh, look up for the text. You're actually sending the right SQL to the server, so it's actually being done at the SQL server level. Okay, so wait till you have everything you need, and then it's going to execute. Exactly. Okay. And so we're gonna we're gonna have the the search one uh, as one of our default operations, and we're gonna have a range one as well. So the the common case is, hey, I've got two dates on the page, or I've got a price on the page, and I want to say, hey, I want to see all the records that have a price between 50 and 75. Okay. Once again, not something very trivial to write if you go back to. Uh, code behind right and now it's it's just declarative you put a range operator on there and say I want to do a min max right and specify the control that's your min a control that's your max and it'll do the search that's between those two things so and and how is that all bound together is it data source ID type of a, a metaphor or well, it's actually a block inside the data source so what you're gonna do is you're gonna have you know link data source and you would open just like we have parameter collections today now you're gonna have a query and you'll say in the query and you'll list the operations you want and inside of them, you'll have parameters that point to the controls on the page where they should get their values from. Okay, and so is there like a triggers block or something so it knows only to, to fire once you've clicked the search button? 
Well, it's, it's going to fire whenever the page data binds. And so in this case, pressing the search button is going to cause the page to data bind in a, in a traditional web form uh, application. Right, and okay. And that, that data binding is going to then cause all this to, to take effect. To, to happen, okay. So we actually have a sample of this up in the in the bits we, we put up on uh, CodePlex on Monday. So. Okay. And so that's completely disconnected from the UI control, so you can still add any validators that you want to those controls exactly. as well. Exactly. You can okay. put validators on the search box, and uh, if you're doing a range, you could put, you know, compare validators to make sure that numbers are entered and all that kind of stuff. So before it actually gets to the actual running query, okay. uh, we've done the validation for you. So, and we're going to leverage that, that, that mechanism inside of uh, dynamic data as well. One of the things that, that we got hit on with our version one of dynamic data was our filters weren't very good. Um, basically our filters in dynamic data 1.0 were uh, around foreign keys or uh, Boolean columns. And we were kind of limited by what we could do because we're trying to work with multiple data sources. So, how do I go and, and start injecting, you know, these, all, these data sources all have different ways of specifying a query. And so, um, by getting all these data sources to, to support a new interface that, that brings us an iQueryable, then suddenly you've given me the power to, to, to vastly increase the, the, I can, yeah, exactly, I can abstract away the data layer and say, hey, no matter what data layer, as long as I throw link expressions into this thing, um, it'll get f figured out by the uh, underlying system. Okay. So this is something, is, is this a, a concept that emerged from the work that was done on dynamic data? Yeah. Actu actually, we, we, uh, we're, we're looking at filters in general, and we're like, okay, we want to make them better. And the iQueryable stuff came up immediately to mind because right. um, we started looking at how our customers are using, doing it today. Some, some of our customers actually added these filters themselves today. And what they do is they take over the where block on the uh, data source controls. And okay. so they're hand-generating these strings and um, the code of, behind of code behind, um, but once again, as I said, that that's not yeah. necessarily <laughs> going to work in all cases. And uh, what really gets tough is dynamic data kind of depends on this feature where uh, the where clause is automatically generated. As soon as you want to start generating the entire where clause yourself, that means you have to go hand generate the parts of the where clause that we were generating, like the foreign key stuff and the boolean columns. So if you want to add your own filter. You've got to hand support, you know, you have to hand do our filters. Take out the plumbing that you had in exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we just want to come up with some generic way of letting us party on the, the filters for data sources. So do you see anything else emerging from the dynamic data work that would be available to everybody else? Um, that's the main thing today. Um, I don't think there's anything else that we've done in, in the current time frame that really affects everybody. Um, but at the same time, I would like to say that dynamic data really is just our data controls in general. It's it's. Right. Uh, I, I hate this. People typically think of dynamic data and they go, oh, it's that scaffolding stuff. And I'm like, no, it really isn't. You can basically just turn it on on your existing data controls and they get more functionality. And right. so I, I want to push that more and more and and uh, make sure that people know that they don't have to do the full scaffolding if they want dynamic data. Yeah, I, I think the, th the thing that maybe stops people at scaffolding is to know that dynamic data is going to work out of the box at least with uh, link to SQL or entity framework and often people have their own custom data layer already implemented and so wh where are we at as to being able to to set up the metadata and have a data context of, of say a subsonic data context or something like that yeah that's something that that's, that's very important to us too that's a lot of feedback we got from version one as well is like yeah um, I love what you're doing but uh, you know I'm a legacy application that was written three years ago there was no entity framework there was no link to SQL you know how do I use dynamic data? We've had some solutions out in our futures project, but what we, where we're trying to head moving forward is to have what we're going to call a, a business logic layer data source. 
and this is basically uh, a data source that can can go over you know an existing business logic layer. We already have a data source today, the object data source that kind of does this. Mm -hmm. the, the one thing object data source doesn't do for us though is we don't want just collections of, of objects back. We want iQueryables um, because by giving us the iQueryable back, um, if we go and, and do these filtering that we talked about earlier, um, that'll go all the way down to the SQL server versus um, pulling all the data from the SQL server and then, and then doing the filtering on right. top of that. And, and so it's very important for us to get the iQueryable part uh, of that. Um, the next part of that is um, kind of what dynamic data does is it looks at you know what methods and stuff you have exposed so it can build a, a kind of a scaffold and what we're going to do with uh, the business logic data source is be able to have attributes that are placed on methods so any of your methods that return data would have a select attribute um, if I'm going to update the product table um, I'm, I want the CRUD operations on the product table I would have an insert attribute an update attribute a delete attribute and that allows dynamic data to go look at the business layer read over it all and figure out what its options are. Um, obviously you need a couple more attributes as well. How does how do we know how tables are related and stuff like that? Right. Um, since we're no longer looking at link to SQL or NDD framework, which both have these littered all over their objects right. already, we'll have to have uh, uh, some some common attributes uh, that can be put across all those things as well. So the way it works today is if you're using link to SQL or NDD framework with uh, the business logic uh, data source, um, it automatically converts their attributes into the new attributes. So it, it applies the the iQueryable interfaces to these objects? What, well, actually what you do is you say, hey, I'm going to build a business logic data source and I'm going to use the Entity Framework provider. So the, the business logic data source will come will come with some base providers. Um, you could have a POCO provider, for example. You could have an Entity Framework provider. And all the uh, Entity Framework provider does is going to do things like I was saying. It's going to go look at your uh, EDMX and automatically convert their attributes into common attributes that, okay. that uh, we can see. This stuff is, um, once again, we have a sample inside of the, uh, the bits we released on Monday that shows this. It's very early work. I'd love to hear feedback on it. Um, you can also see that query block stuff I was talking about applied to this data source as well. So uh, one of the samples is actually showing uh, the business logic data source and all the filtering on top of it. Okay. Now, one of the items that was also uh, talked about being implemented was the concept of an entity data source. W where are we at with that? You mean entity templates? Uh, perhaps. Or, yeah, yes. Because I was going to uh, say, we already have enti the entity data source actually shipped in .NET 3.5 SP1. Right, yeah, yeah, entity templates, yeah. Some of the core, com core improvements that we're doing right now, um, we want to do uh, inheritance. So inheritance is something that both uh, Entity Framework and Link to SQL uh, provide. And this is, let's say in your database, you might actually have a person, um, and then you have derivatives of that. You might have a student or an admin uh, that actually have real inheritance, just like you would in, in object-oriented programming. Um, today, if you run dynamic data against those types of applications, we'll only scaffold that, that base column, the, our base table, the person. And so one of the things we're, we're trying to do in these new bits is full inheritance uh, support for both of these uh, frameworks. The next thing we're doing is we're going to do work on many-to-many -many relationships. This is something that the Entity Framework actually opens up as a, as a core feature. Um, it will actually detect um, a many-to-many -many relationship and actually expose that on an object. So in the, in the Northwind example of this, you have an uh, employee table that has a many-to-many -many relationship with a territory table. An employee can be a member of many territories, and a territory can be a member of many employees. And uh, where Entity Framework makes this a little bit differently is when I when I get an employee object back, uh, 
I'll, it'll actually have a territory's property on it. And if I drill into that territory's property, it'll actually bring me back the territories that employee is associated with, and there's actually add and remove methods to add another territory or, or remove a territory. Um, so we're going to have a new field template called many-to-many -many in the next version of dynamic data that will sense this in the energy framework model. And what would happen is when I go and edit that employee, I'll get a checkbox list of all the territories, and I okay. can just check the ones I want this employee to be in. Right. And when I'm viewing the, the employee, it would say territories and give a comma-separated sep comma list of the territories that they're in. And return that back. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's a, that's a core improvement that we're working on. Um, so if, if you go through the stuff we've talked about so far, we've got the, the filtering support with the new query block. We've got the inheritance. We've got the many-to-many. -many. And then uh, something that we've already prototyped in the MVC side of dynamic data was the notion of an entity template. And this is, um, there's actually two notions in here. One is, if you use dynamic data today with a grid view or a, a details view, it's very simple. Uh, you basically just point the two things together and it works fine. Right. Yeah, you go and say, I want to use a form view or a list view. And now you've got to write a template for insert, update, uh, you don't have one for delete, but you have one for listing as well. So you have all these templates, uh, which are kind of difficult to do. And kind of our idea behind this is we want to have a default uh, entity template. And what you could do in code behind is basically assign uh, my list views, insert template equals this, update template equals this, uh, list template equals this. And so within th with three lines of code, you've removed the need for doing all this extra configuration you would normally do in the list view. You obviously still have the power of doing that, uh, but when you first buy in to start switching to a list view to have more control, you don't feel like you've got to write, you know, 300 lines of markup to do this. Right, and and the, the benefit of doing the templates is, is that now you have a single place to edit everything as well. Exactly, you can you know use this template in many pages um, across your application, um, but a, this is only one half of the story. The next part of the story is, hey, okay, I've, I do want to actually build my own template myself for my uh, list view. I want to have my own item template or my own insert template um, and put my own boilerplate around the sides of it, but I still want to actually use these entity templates so we'll actually have a placeholder control called a uh, um, dynamic entity template that you could basically place inside of the in inside of there. And wherever you place that, you can name which entity template you want, and that'll be injected directly into the, the markup at that point. So okay. kind of two notions. You can actually encode behind, assign directly to the actual properties on the controls, and not have to put a template in at all, or define the template yourself and... Uh, wrappers or whatever, you know, around the edges or, you know, buttons right. and stuff, and then actually have the entity show up in there as well using a, a placeholder control. Now, were, were you working on something that was basically going to be a template for an entire row of data from a table? So you That's, have... That is what an entity template could be. It could be a, an entire row of the table. So you would go in and, and add in, say, these are the individual fields, which would then pick up the field template for those individual items. Exactly. So an entity template would actually contain field templates typically. So okay. I might have an entity template that basically is a, uh, a TR and then a TD for every single uh, column. Okay. And each of those TDs would contain a dynamic uh, control. Right, okay. Which would then inject the field templates in. Okay. So okay. we don't have that in the, the, the many-to-many, the inheritance, and the... Uh, Entity templates are not in the in the bits we have up uh, on CodePlex now, but we probably will refresh those in the next few weeks okay. and get some more of these features in. Uh, David Ebo from our team actually blogged about the many-to-many -many, um, thing like yesterday or the day before. Now, what about the scenario of wanting to be able to use field templates in, in an instance where you, you're not listing? 
or you don't want you're not using uh, a details view type of thing so for instance let's say you had a field template and, and its responsibility was to render out an email and you know it's it's given an email address but it shows it with the href and the mail to tag and everything like that um, what's the best way to use that if you're just displaying a single record of data on a page T today in our case you know that would be a form view Kay. so um, we need some kind of wrapper control that knows about data binding because each of these templates these uh, field templates do you know data binding okay. and so we have to be in some kind of data binding context and so the the main data, data binding context that we have today is a is a form view which basically you could you could go all the way out to the top of your form and wrap the entire page in a form view and then you have the, the ability to place these things you know anywhere on the page you do a custom template at exactly do a custom template and uh, we actually have another enhancement that we haven't really talked about anywhere um, that it will be in the next version of the framework, which is FormView itself actually today renders as a table. And it does that because it has these styling attributes. And so we needed some element to go stick the styling attributes to. Um, but that kind of drives you nuts if you actually want to <laughs> use a FormView <laughs> and just say, hey, I just want to put this thing in there and, right. and have full control of my markup. So we actually have a, a modification to FormView where you can say, I don't want to be rendered as a table. And basically it will render no tags at all except whatever your template is. Oh, excellent. Um, Did we just get an exclusive? That's an exclusive. Excellent, right on. <laughs> Very cool, that, that'll be exciting to see because that, that's something I've often wanted to do and what I basically did was use a list view with a, you know, a collection of objects that only had one object in it and then I was using the field templates at that point. So yeah, actually it's, it's kind of funny, we were actually, um, I was talking to Brad Millington, he was a, a member of our team that now works on the Web Tools team, who's the people to do all the tooling um, for Visual Studio around ASP.NET and web. and. Uh, we actually, you know, we have a list view, and we were thinking that we might in the future have an item view. Okay, yeah. Because um, form view used in that sense seems a little awkward, and it's just a name, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but it's, it seems it's a little uh, awkward. Right. We didn't, for this release, we didn't have time to do it um, to create the item view, but I, I think moving forward, we might actually go to a mode where we have a, a list view and an item view, and those are our main controls, and we kind of say the other controls are still there, but the our recommendation and guidance is to use these two controls, which are highly templated um, controls specifically around that model. Okay, that makes sense. Now, how, as far as the support that's available for MVC, how much of what we find in the Webforms dynamic data is available for the MVC dynamic data? So I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, we just released on that, on that Codeplex release on Monday um, a new preview of dynamic data for MVC. Um, I, I need to preface everybody that we don't have scaffolding in this release yet. Um, we had some bits out a few months ago that actually had scaffolding, but we're trying to make sure that the uh, MVC support is very purist. So right. you don't feel <laughs> you'll, you, you'll hear about it. <laughs> you don't you don't you don't feel that we've we've moved you into some pattern that, that forces you down a path you don't want to go. And so, um, if you compare the two releases, you'll see the new release, um, for example, in the field templates, it uses HTML helpers which are the, uh, the snippets that we use inside of, of MVC to make it easier to write and, and do the things we do with controls in uh, web forms. Right. And um, it, it feels very, very MVC-ish. Um, so what it, what it kind of supports today is it supports the notion of field templates, uh, having a template to editing some kind of data and to do the validation for that, that kind of data. It supports the notion of entity templates that we talked about earlier, um, where you can build a collection of these uh, field templates to, to build a, the look of your entire data. And it does the data binding logic of, okay, I want to put this entity template on a page. 
and it's gonna deal with you know taking your data object and putting the values into the field templates and pulling them back out of the field templates. Okay. Um, and that's that's the level of, of where it's at today. So the, the sample we released is a fully functional blog. I want to preface that with this is not you know a production level <laughs> blog. This is basically hey, it's a proof I'll, of concept. It's a proof of concept. And if, if you want to go see how dynamic data could enhance an MVC site, go look at the source code for this thing and see how we wrote a blog. And look at the look at the pages and go. If I didn't use MV, uh, dynamic data for MVC, what would I've had to have, to have done? On your own. Uh, right. One of the things that I, I get a kick out of is is uh, I might get might get killed after I announce this on this uh, <laughs> interview. Is um, you know one of the things that people always complain about in in the web forums is view state. Yeah. And we actually brought a little bit of the notion of view state into MVC. No. Yes, we ha <laughs> we, we did. Um, um, well, and like and you're saying, their state has to be maintained at some well, point. Exactly, and and everybody that's that's rolled their eyes at me when I told them this the first time. I'm like, okay, well, how do you do optimistic concurrency in MVC? Optimistic concurrency is when basically you take the old object and the new object, and compare them. Right. And traditionally, the way that you you, you do this is you store the old object somewhere, and then when you're done, you look at you look at it. Yeah. And so we we had the problem of where do we stick the old object? So if you want to if you want to be in the non-performant case, what you can do is say I don't want to do that. Um, I'll just go and, and load the object from the database again. Well, I would argue then you don't have optimistic concurrency because could have changed. It, it could have changed. Absolutely. So we had to stick this original object somewhere, and so we ended up sticking it in, in, a, in an input tag on the on the page, just like uh, Webforms does. We didn't call it view state, right? Um, <laughs> but it actually uses the same loss formatter that uh, yeah, it's all that, encrypted. That view state yeah, does exactly. So, um, That's hilarious. Well, the thing is, is that when View State first came out, everybody thought it was wonderful, and then it was used wrong, and perhaps it was abused, and then it got such a bad name, and then we want to throw it all away. When used well, it can be a good thing. Exactly. I mean, and, and we did not help because we used it wrong out of the gate originally as well. So right. I mean, it was you know we set everybody up with the wrong pattern by enabling it by default, and then you know having controls where you couldn't turn it off. Right. So um, um, we kind of started that pattern, but. As I said, um, if you don't want to have that uh, that view state, then use a timestamp column. That's another way of doing optimistic concurrency is having a timestamp stamp column in your database. Right. At which point we don't have to admit this stuff to the uh, the page. Once again, it's you know how do you support your developers? We want to support both the developer using timestamps and not using timestamps. Exactly. If you're an MVC purist, use a dang timestamp and you won't have this problem. Right. And you can turn it on and off whenever you want. And you can turn it on or off whenever you want. So so that's that's kind of the state that we have. Uh, the MVC work in today. Um, kind of the next step you're going to see is we're going to have some controllers. We'll have a, a, a I don't want to call it a dynamic controller, but it, it'll be some kind of controller where you'll give it an object type. And given that object type, this controller will um, have a have virtual methods for doing insert, updates, and deletes. So um, that's where your scaffolding would and come that's, from. And this, this is the beginning of scaffolding. We don't have scaffolding yet, but it would be okay, so I've got a, a person object and I want to use dyna dynamic data with it. So what I'll do is I might use the dynamic uh, link controller or entity framework controller and put the person tag, uh, the person object as, as the template item there. And then it would automatically do the CRUD op operations for you. They'd be virtual, you could override them, but we'll provide the default uh, for those. The, n the, next, the next step of that would obviously be the scaffolding. Um, and that requires more knowledge. So uh, than what we have just playing with objects. So the, all the 
the MVC dynamic data work we've done so far is just around having an object. We don't really know if it's an NED framework object or ah, a link okay. to SQL object. And the next level is uh, doing that kind of support, which is the scaffold. Um, we're going to take incremental steps, and we're, we're actually doing it inside out on purpose because we want to say, make sure that we have a framework that works really well without the scaffold. So it's like, okay, let's do, let's do everything without scaffolding, and scaffolding would be the final thing we turn on. If you're an MVC purist, don't want scaffolding, don't use it. But there if you, you want to have the, the nice ability to have us do some of the CRUD work for you in the case of any new framework or link to SQL, use our, our controller that knows how to do those operations. Um, if you want to have the data binding uh, done a little bit for you, then we'll do that for you. We'll do the validation for you using the field templates. So basically you can buy in at whatever level you want. That seems like it'll really decrease some of the some people's resistance to MVC because they'll have the ability to have, you know, uh, the draw of MVC is that you have full control, but at the same time you have full control and <laughs> not a lot's done for you. E exactly. So if you have these things there for you, it might be where people are on the fence and say, okay, I want the testing, but I also need to be productive. And dynamic data, if if anything, helps you be a lot more productive. That's exactly our goal. Our goal is to say. You know, if you're the web form developer moving over to MVC or trying MVC out, then you probably want to start with the scaffolding stuff. If you're a hardcore MVC developer and you don't want to use Link to SQL or any framework, you just want to use our lower level stuff against objects. You can do that. I mean, it's we're we're enabling it at every level you can think of, and and uh, I think because of that, we might be able to ship parts of it earlier than I expected initially. So um, we'll see how our our stuff lines up uh, when the MVC uh, RTM comes around. And see if there's some way we can, you know, try to get our st our bits out in that time frame as well. So maybe without scaffolding, but with a lot of the helpers, just you know, just like each, uh, MVC today has a bunch of helpers, we're just going to provide another level of helpers on top of that. Wow, that's the whirlwind of new stuff coming out. Yeah, it's 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 exciting, and and uh, you know, we didn't even go into Ajax. I mean, you've already <laughs> I know you've already interviewed Bertrand, so yeah. you've, you've you've got the Ajax stuff, but. Yeah. Uh, Lots of exciting stuff. Um, it's going to be ne the, the next year or two is going to be really fun. I think <laughs> we have all kinds of stuff coming down the pipe. It's crazy. Well, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Craig. So there you have it. There's a lot to look forward to and a lot that really is, is aimed at making our lives a lot easier. I mean, that client ID support, <laughs> that's, that, that goes untold of how many hours that's going to save developers. As for dynamic data, Preview 2 has been released and it's got uh, a lot of what Scott was talking about. So if you want to check it out, go to tinyurl.com slash ddprev2, as in dynamic data preview 2, tinyurl.com slash ddprev2. That's the CodePlex site where you can download samples and the code and everything to check out the Preview 2 of dynamic data. Well, thanks a lot for checking us out. I hope you have a great holiday season. This is Craig Shoemaker, and I'll be talking to you soon. Pixelate Radio, on the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel8ed.com. All rights reserved, copyright 2008. Infragistics, powering the presentation layer. Infragistics.com.